Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography in the Apple ecosystem. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. Ho, ho, ho. It's almost that time of the year, isn't it? This is our first annual Photoactive podcast gift guide. Well, because this is our first Christmas together, isn't it, Jeff? It is our first Christmas together. I'm imagining us in some English cottage with a fireplace burning. And do you get snow where you are? We sometimes get snow. We actually got snowed in for a few days last year. Oh, lovely. So, see, paint that picture in your head. That's where we are. We're not separated by thousands of miles and technology. We're not. We are digitally connected across the ocean and the continents. And anyway, we'll get we'll stop all of this. We, we wanted to do a gift guide because we, we do our snapshots at the end of every episode. And it's interesting. And there are little things. And we wanted to have a gift guide that's more consequential. So we've each made a few picks. And we're going to discuss what we think would make a good gift for Christmas for your photographer friends. Jeff, why don't you begin? Okay, I'm going to start small. Small and essential. And inexpensive, too. For about 7 or 8 bucks on Amazon, you can get Zeiss lens wipes. They're basically little prepackaged moist wipes. You can use them on you know, your glasses, your, your screens, whatever. What's nice is you have a whole bunch of these little wipes. They're little packets. You, you throw them in every bag that you own so that when you get to that point and you're shooting and you have some dust on your, your lens or it's raining and you want to wipe it off, you have something that isn't your shirt to clean off your lens, which, believe me, doesn't work as well as one of these. <laughs> so totally easy, totally something you can get for yourself, something you can give as a gift to others, inexpensive, super useful, use them all the time. I've got a box of them on a shelf over here in my office. I don't use them as much as I should. I use them more on my glasses than on my camera lenses, but it is definitely something you should have. And since both of us wear glasses, it is practical to have those as well. Absolutely. So that was like quick and easy. Kirk, how about you? Well, mine's not quite as quick as easy. And all all my items are image related. I haven't picked any gear because I don't see gear as a gift, to be honest. You know, I'm in that sort of routine where all the camera companies put stuff on sale like in the spring and early summer because they know that that's when people are going to be buying gear because they're going to go out and take a lot of pictures. There's also a lot of sales and rebates right now on Fujifilm lenses, but I don't need any more. I really don't need any more lenses. What? Wow. We have this recorded. This is evidence. (laughs) (laughs) However, I've picked a number of image-related gifts, and the first one is probably the best-known book of photography. It is by Henri Cartier-Bresson. It's called A Decisive Moment. This is a book that's been printed a number of times over the years. It was out of print for a while, and it's recently come back in print from the German publisher Steidl. It is the book that has made Cartier-Bresson as one of the greatest photographers and has influenced people in terms of this sort of street photography You get this famous photo that he took of the guy behind the train station jumping over a puddle. You get a photo, and I'm on the Steidl website here, and I'm looking at the pictures. There is this very moving photo of a woman standing in front of a desk surrounded by a group of people. And I'm pretty sure this is someone who had collaborated with the Germans during World War II, and she's being registered as a collaborator after the war. There's a wonderful picture of uh, Jean-Paul Sartre standing on a bridge speaking with someone, it looks like Camus, you see him from behind. All of these pictures have a sort of character that is really interesting and that influenced a lot of photography, especially street photography. One thing that's really important, the book was not originally entitled The Decisive Moment. 
The decisive moment is a phrase that he uses in the essay in the book. The book is titled in French, Image à la Sauvette. À la Sauvette is an expression that means on the sly, candid, but it has a, a sense of illegality to it. So if, if you have someone who's like standing outside in front of the Eiffel Tower selling little tchotchkes illegally, you would call him a vendeur à la sauvette, an illegal salesperson. With that in mind, you can look at these pictures a little bit differently. They're not meant to be, they're not posed. They're meant to be grabbed, sort of candid, sort of sneaky pictures. It's a very large format book. It's a beautiful book, and it's relatively inexpensive at Amazon right now, something like 30 or 40% off. So I strongly recommend this to anyone who wants to understand the history of photography. Okay, so I have a book. I want to follow in your footsteps at least a little bit. This is a very popular book. It's a political book, but we're not going to talk about the political aspects of it because I think it's fascinating as a photographic exploration. So this is the, the book by Pete Souza. It's called Obama, An Intimate Portrait. Pete Souza was the official White House photographer. And he was Obama's official photographer when he was a senator. And I think, if I'm remembering right, uh, Pete Souza was sort of assigned to uh, shoot some pictures of this this up-and-coming senator. They developed a rapport and ended up working for him for the rest of the time. What is interesting, I think, about Souza, he was the photographer for both terms of, of Obama's office. Part of the reason that I, that I bring this up is I just find that job, that, that presidential photographer job to be fascinating because, you know, here's somebody who is with the president of the United States, whoever, whoever that president may be, that has to document and also give context to events and, you know, basically be there all the time, but not be noticed, not be part of the scene. And so you have a lot of images in the book of, you know, very tense, delicate, some private moments of what it what it takes to be a president. It's just an interesting look at this world. You also have to have to remember that, you know, the the, the chief White House photographer is in charge of the, the rest of the photographic staff. So it's not just, you know, hey, I get to go and hang out in the halls of power all the time. It sounds like an unbelievably demanding job for whomever does it. And this book, in addition to just, you know, Pete Sousa is a fantastic photographer. It just gives you a sense of, of, of what that means to document anyone, really. In, in this case, it just happens to be that office. It was Obama's photographic Boswell in some ways. He took more than two million photographs. Can you imagine going through two million photographs, what the workflow is to choose them and edit them and process them and do all that? Yeah. The the book goes into that a little bit, and, and I know that Sousa has, has talked about that a little bit, but you also have to remember every single picture that he takes, that all has to be saved and archived because that becomes you know part of the public record. That's right. I would love to know more about that workflow because it's staggering. Kirk, do you have another gift idea? I do. And this one is not a book of photography. It is a book of painting. It is Georgia O'Keeffe, 100 Flowers, the 30th Anniversary Edition. This is a book that was published initially in 1987. It was republished this year. Georgia O'Keeffe's flowers are extraordinary. They're bright. They're in your face. And, you know, I've talked about how I like doing macro photography of flowers. When you see this kind of close-up painting of flower, it makes you appreciate just how complex a flower as an object is. 
a lot of the pictures dissect flowers, showing bits of flowers. They're not like flowers in vases. And, and that, too, gives you some ideas for composition when you're walking around taking pictures of flowers. I know a lot of photographers think that flower photography is boring. Of course, a lot of them think that cat photography is boring, and we know that's wrong. But flowers are an extraordinary subject because of the colors, the shapes, the lighting. And I think we can learn a lot about photographic composition by looking at painting. And this is an extraordinary book that I think is really worth looking into. It's currently half price at Amazon, which still means it's $87. This is an expensive book. But at that price, it's almost a no-brainer. I recently ordered one. I, I don't know the book yet, but I've seen a lot of the pictures, and I ordered one for myself for Christmas. I find that it's it's really difficult for me to to remember that we're talking about a visual art, and my brain wants to sort of stick to photography. You know, okay, so you want to be a good photographer? You have to look at a lot of different photos, which is true. But also, you're looking at the world. You're looking at colors and shapes, and especially with something like that where you're not looking to see whether the exposure is good or whether the composition is good. You're just looking for, you know, what what does the photo say to you, which I think a lot of people just forget about because we get so caught up in, all right, am, am I doing the right aperture? Do I have the right background blur? All of that. And then sort of forgetting about, okay, but why am I taking this picture? And what what mood does it give me? And painting is all about composition and mood and, and, and all of that. So that's a fantastic reminder. And particularly the bright colors that she uses and, and the sort of the in-your-face aspect of how close the eye is looking to these flowers. This really only applies to macro photography, but I think painting is a great example. And one of my snapshots some weeks ago was some Japanese prints, which do have a compositional character similar to what we see in photos. So there are all kinds of paintings that are worth looking at to, to develop your eye, to develop the way you see the world. Jeff, what have you got next? Okay, so I'm going to go from thinking about color and theory, and I'm going to jump right into gear. I know, I know we're not a gear podcast, but this is also something that is very deep and dear to our hearts, which is an external hard drive. I know, I know, I know. It's not sexy or interesting at all. However, what's great about having an external hard drive, A, you get to store and keep and back up all of these photos that you're spending so much time uh, working with. The one that I will link to, it's a Seagate expansion, two terabyte external hard drive. It has a USB 3 connector, so it's, it, it's plenty fast enough. It's two terabytes, it's 65 bucks. You can get a one terabyte you know, for like 50 bucks. It used to be that a hard drive was this big box with a big power supply, and it was just a big darn deal. Now, storage has finally, you know, come down. So, like, this is an affordable thing. So, you have a photographer you want to spend a little bit of money on but not go completely crazy. They will use this. If they don't use this, then they are bad. But... <laughs> <laughs> if they know what they're doing, they will use this in some capacity. I fully admit this is not super interesting, but in terms of, of the practical realities of being a photographer and the fact that all of our images are digital, this is extremely useful. Got one right here on my desk. This is the four terabyte model. I think they go for about $100 or so. I've been buying these portable hard drives for years since they were... Oh, I guess 250 gigabytes, then 500 gigabytes, and then a terabyte, and, and, and been updating them. Because 
they're self-powered. You plug them into your computer, you back up, you eject them. They're small. I have a, a safe in my house that's, that's fireproof, and I make a backup, and I alternate my hard drives every now and then. They're great devices. They're not expensive. And as you say, if a photographer is not using one of these to back up his or her photos, they are bad. So you're actually giving them peace of mind that just happens to be a piece of hardware. Very clever what you did there. You know, I would like to claim that I thought of that ahead of time, but I didn't. That was a total accident. Do you have something next? Yes, I have another book. Michael Kenna is one of my favorite photographers. He makes these extraordinary black and white landscape photos. I don't think I've ever seen a Michael Kenna photo with a person in it. A lot of his photos are long exposures taken at night, but they're not all like that. He released a new edition of a book sometime early this year called Huangshan, which is the name of mountains in China. And I believe there's 68 photos in the book. It's a slim paperback, a, a fairly large format. I will put a link to both the book on Amazon where it's out of print and a gallery on Michael Kenna's website where you can see the photos. I was fortunate enough to get one of the hundred signed limited editions of this book. And I was very surprised when I looked this up today to see how much it's selling for on Amazon. This work is really extraordinary. It's moving. It's it's hard to describe how much he can get out of a black and white landscape with light and shade and colors and, and shadows and, and all that. In in particular, the way he treats distances. A, a lot of his photos aren't of these long distances with mountains. But in this case, you've got distances. You've got the horizon. You've got the layers of, of mountain ranges going, you know, dozens of miles away. All of these photos are just simply beautiful. And, and this book is a very, very nicely presented collection of these photos. If you know me as a listener, you probably, or, or you've seen my Instagram, you probably know that uh, I go crazy about fog. And so looking at these pictures right now, I'm just sort of transported into it like a different feeling. So many of them have distant mist and they have peaks that, that, that recede. I sort of have in my mind this ideal image of many layers of, of mountains. And I've tried to get this shot in various situations, and I've never quite been happy with what I've come up with. It's just one of those like target photos that, that you chase for a long time. And th this is what I have in my mind of the picture that I want. These are gorgeous. Yes. And if you go down about 10 rows from the top, there is one called Huangshan Mountain Study 42. And that is probably the one that you would like to have made yourself. Yes. Well, I would have loved to make all of these myself. Yeah, I know. But that one in particular with the layers, the way each row of peaks sort of recedes a little bit more mist until yes. it, it, there's the clouds in the background. It's just extraordinary. You can also sort of look at it quickly. It almost looks like you have layers of torn paper, too. It's just it's. It's really lovely. We should also point out that these are all black and white. And so you're getting a lot of really nice tones because if you've ever shot in the fog, fog actually makes things difficult because your camera just wants to do everything completely white or blown out. And so to be able to get this distance takes quite a bit of work. And I'm sure these were all uh, developed from film. Yeah, he, he, shoots, uh, he uses a Hasselblad and shoots with film. And you'll also notice that there's a slight sepia or maybe selenium tint that he uses with his photos all the time. His printing is quite extraordinary in addition to his photography. When you look at the detail of some of the prints, you know that there's a lot of dodging and burning going on to make the prints look like this. And, and this particular collection of his work does have a lot of layers. 
Very nice. Are these large prints? Are they small prints? Are they the, the book is his prints are all seven and three quarter inches square. The book is I'm thinking it's about sixteen inches by twelve inches. It's a fairly tall book. It's like about the size of a thirteen inch MacBook Pro, I'd say. These are lovely. Do have a look at his entire image archive. I just find him one of the most fascinating photographers. You know, if you like black and white landscapes, that may not be the case. There are many people who don't. But go through his image archive. There are probably a couple thousand photos you can look at, and it's really extraordinary. Anyway, Jeff, back to you. Back to me. Going from this beautiful landscape, I'm going to jump back to gear. I feel guilty now because we didn't talk too much about what our picks were going to be. And so I'm like, okay, what are gifts that I would like? And what are gifts that I would give to people? We did want to sort of scale up in, in price, or at least I did. And so what I'm going to recommend is something that I've used uh, based on my own experience. And this can be something that you buy outright for somebody, or perhaps you get a gift card towards it. And that is the company Peak Design. They're out of San Francisco. They make the Everyday Backpack and the Everyday Messenger Bag. So bags, like giant topic for photographers, what kind of bag to carry? I probably have like six bags here. Most of them I don't use anymore. The Peak Design bags are really the ones that I've found that are the best, um, as the name suggests, for everyday activity. For a long time, I used the Messenger Bag because... My sort of every day is if I'm not working in my office at home, I am probably out at a coffee shop or running errands. And so I need to carry quite a bit of stuff, and I like having my, my camera with me. It accommodates a 15-inch MacBook Pro, an iPad, although in the backpack, uh, which is what I'm using now, um, the, the new 12.9-inch iPad and the 15-inch uh, MacBook Pro is a very tight fit. So... That's something to keep in mind. The The quality is fantastic, and these bags were designed as camera bags. So, you know, normally I'll have a mix of things, but when I'm out shooting, I can load them up with lenses. They have really uh, neat compartment dividers that fold that give you some flexibility. There are lots of little pockets for, you know, all the the various little things that you that you need to bring with you. One of my favorite features is they have little discrete pockets for your batteries. And you're like, well, that doesn't sound like a big deal. They have little sewn badges on them, like either black or red. And what's great about that is you can very quickly know that, okay, the, the batteries that are in the black pockets are ones that are charged and ready to go. The ones in the red pockets are ones that you've already used so that when you are shooting, you aren't grabbing the wrong battery and then swearing in the middle of your photo shoot. They are not inexpensive. The messenger bag starts at $180. Backpack starts at 260 But if you are using this all the time, it's absolutely worth it. I have one of the messenger bags, the 13-inch model, and I do like it because it is very practical. My only criticism is it's heavy. It's two kilograms when it's empty. So once you throw in a camera and a few lenses, it can get heavy. I use it whenever we go someplace and I'm taking camera gear with me, but I rarely carry it around if I'm walking around someplace shooting because it's just too much. I have one of their little pouches that you can put on a strap like on your belt that, that can hold a couple of lenses. But it is a, if I still lived in a city where I had to walk around carrying things like, you know, computers and iPads and all that, I would definitely get one of these because it's extremely well built and you know that you're protected if you bang into things. Yeah. And 
this may be too much information, but when you are working in a coffee shop, there are times when you need to take, as they say in the Tour de France, a natural break. And I have found that it's very easy to grab your laptop and put it back in the bag and go to the, the restroom without a whole lot of mess and clutter, which is important because I do not like to just leave my laptop on a coffee table. Laptops disappear when you do that. They do. They do. And I don't want any of my stuff to disappear. So, you know, it's it's super convenient. They're, they're rugged and well-made, and I can't recommend them highly enough. And they've got a really clever closing mechanism. Oh, yes. That kind of hooks and has a magnet, and it's really, really well-designed. So it's easy to open and easy to close. But it doesn't pop open when you don't want it to. There are also a bunch of little accessories, little gear bags. Their their straps are very also very well made. We've talked about the straps. As, I think we each picked the straps as our snapshots in the past. Yeah, yeah. Which is also a good time to point out that if you're looking for other types of gifts, you can go to our website at photoactive.co and look through the different snapshots that we've included in every episode because we have a variety of books and gadgets and all sorts of things that are perfect for gifts. Kirk, I've gone on long enough about this. What about you? What do you have next? My last gift is another image-related item, but it is not photography. Let me give a little bit of background. My partner and I decided to take one of the upstairs bedrooms and convert it into a TV room. I've got a 60-inch 4K TV, and I bought a stand for it, and it's just wide enough to have two comfy chairs and we're finally able to watch 4K TV because when I bought that two years ago, there was nothing on in 4K. You bought the 4K because it meant that you could have a bigger TV and see and, and not see the pixels, right? But there wasn't any content. Now, my bandwidth is too slow to get Apple's 4K content. I only get 15 megabits down and Apple says you need 25. But on the BBC iPlayer, they have little samples of 4K content, like 10-minute things you can look at to see how it looks. And after we set up the TV, the first thing that came on was some clips from Planet Earth 2. And this is one of the most extraordinary videos. I'm not really a fan of nature videos, but when you see this on a huge screen, it's truly amazing. Now, I have a 4K Blu-ray player that I bought last year, and I never had any 4K discs to play on it, so I finally bought this. Um, this is actually a set of both Planet Earth 2 and Blue Planet 2. I, I think it's about five hours each. So this is like, you know, 10 hours of, of an orgy of nature films that we'll be able to watch with the cat sitting there looking at the TV trying to figure out what's going on. This isn't photography, but there's still something about the quality of the images in this, not just the technical quality, but the quality of the cinematography, the, the composition and all that, that makes it worth watching. If you have a 4K TV and you have a 4K Blu-ray player, etc., by all means, get this. When you do, make sure you get an 18 megabit HDMI cable because most likely the HDMI cable you have is not fast enough for 4K video. Amazon Basics, I think it was four pounds, so it's like five bucks in the States. HDMI is one of those things where there are all sorts of versions. It's kind of like USB-C where different cables will work for different things and some of them won't work. There's copy protection. There's the, the bandwidth speed, et cetera. So you really need to make sure that you get the right one. I'm going to push back on you just a little bit because this is very much about photography. Granted, we are you know, looking at probably spectacular scenes that you wish you were there. But even that sort of documentary aspect of, of, of video, you, know, you have to consider there's somebody who is composing, there's somebody who is framing, there's somebody who has been on that particular ice flow for 20 hours waiting for something to happen. If you are a wildlife photographer... 
I would imagine this would just be candy because you get to see what choices are made, especially something like this, which uh, I would imagine, you know, is very high production value, probably, a, you know, a large budget, what you can do at that scale, and then see how that translates to the work that you're doing. There's a photographer out there named Peter Lick. He's very, very famous for having, uh, I think he's like, like one of his pictures was the the highest paid photo purchase something or other. Anyway, um, he had a short-lived TV show that we caught once. It's basically him going out and going to fabulous locations and talking about how he gets the shot. And it was interesting, but it was sort of more about, here's handsome Peter Lick out in the wilderness. And what always struck me and my wife as we were watching this is you see him like, you know, scrabbling up, you know, some rocky face so he can get the, the, the perfect shot. Well, the guy who was holding his video camera had to get up there first and find the great vantage point. He's a good photographer. I'm, I, I won't take that away from him. But many, many times I thought the videography uh, was much better than the image that, that he shows at the end. Like, and here's the, the, the finished picture. And we, we'd be like, mm, yeah, that's nice. That's fine. But what the other guy had to do, like that was much more, much better, much more interesting. And he didn't get paid very well, probably. Oh, probably not. Yeah, I'm sure he didn't. Okay, so Jeff has one more thing on his list, and it's uh, a gift idea that I agree with. And we're going to end the show with that. Buy gift cards for your photographer friends. If you don't know what to get, buy gift cards. Get them for a camera store they use. Get them for Amazon. Get them for, I don't know, the iTunes store to buy movies and things like that. Everyone loves gift cards. And, you know, gift cards can be applied toward lenses. So you may not be able to buy someone a Leica or a lens, but if you can get them $20 closer, like that's absolutely worth it. I wonder if the Leica store has gift cards. $20, how close would that get me to the Leica M monochrome? Let's see. That would probably not get very. you not very close. No, no. no. But hey, every little bit, right? Yep. Okay. You've got 10 days now if you're going to do some Christmas shopping for your photographer friends. And we'll be back next week with a non-Christmas related episode of Photoactive. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in the show, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app, or in Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review on iTunes or in your podcast app. Until next week, thanks again for listening.